Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning. It's been a while since I've been in service. We've seen a little bit of the kids and the craziness that's been going on down there. And we really want to thank you for your support, uh, your prayer support, your love. Just I know constantly you all have been coming up to our volunteers and our staff and really encouraging us. So thank you. Um, in this time of COVID, obviously, it was hard to do camps. All of you in different ways have experienced the restrictions of COVID, the inability to see family and friends in the way that we want, and just the extra stress of working from home, taking care of kids or loved ones at home. And so we constantly have thought, what if we could go back? What if we could go before, before COVID back to normal? And then the constant thought of what's the new normal? How long do masks and distancing stick around? What are we gonna do six months from now? So we constantly want to go back. And then there's other things you may not wanna go back to. If we go back a little further than just before COVID, maybe your, your washing machine breaks down. I'm sure no one wants me to come to your house and say, I got the fix, here's a washboard. Anyone, anyone want to online? I don't want to. What if you went to the mechanics and your car's broken and they say, don't worry, we have a loaner vehicle for you, and they hand you the reins of a horse? All of you that commute, there's no way you could commute anymore. You'd be all day just trying to get to work and back. So there are things that are good about the past and things that are bad. You hear a song from childhood that say, Jesus loves me, and you go back to just that ease and that peace, and maybe even a little um, naivete. And it was so much easier back then, so much less complicated. You weren't working, you were just enjoying life. But today I want to take us back to a time that's way before any of us, where thousands and thousands of years in the past. And we're going to look at Moses. Now Moses is a big character in the Bible. There's been movies made about him. We have secularized movies and Christian movies about him. But this is a guy that gets a lot of talk in the Bible. Now, he's going to be where we end, but I want to go back even further. We've got to go to the beginning, because if we don't know what happened, we don't understand the prayer that we look at today. If we don't know where we've come from, how do we know where we are going? So I'm going to take us all the way back to the beginning. So a bit of a timeline there. These are just key things, not everything. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said it was good. And he creates Adam and Eve, the first man and first woman. He creates them and places them in this beautiful garden. It's perfect. There's no anger, there's no hate, there's no death. Things are great. They have access to the tree of life with one rule. The one rule is do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you've, you've heard this story before. The one rule that they're given, they can't hold on to. And they're tempted and they go and they eat. And perfection is broken. They're no longer at ease walking with God in the garden. Instead, they hide. They crouch down behind the bushes. They try and make garments out of leaves. But God still comes to them. His presence is still there. He says, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? And Adam and Eve come out and admit what they've done. They're ashamed of their nakedness, which was never a problem before sin. And our loving, gracious God Although he casts them out of the garden, he takes an animal, he kills it and gives them the skins to cover their shame. 
Because even in their failure, God is good. Now, if we go a little further, we see sin building up and building up and building up. And we get to a point where the world is so bad, God says, let's wipe it out. We're going to hit that reset button. And he selects Noah. He says, Noah, you follow me. Build an ark. Okay, this guy's not used to water. He probably has never been on a boat before. But build an ark. And you're going to put your family on it and two animals of every kind. And I'm going to wipe the rest of the world clean. And so he does this. Noah gets onto the boat. He brings his family. And God floods the earth. The earth as we knew it was no more. The sin and the grossness and everything else is wiped clean. Except we still have humans. And we still have Noah and his family and we see sin increase again and again. And God hits the reset button again. And we have Abraham. Now there's hope. There's hope of a promise being fulfilled because back with Adam and Eve, God said, one of your children will crush the head of the serpent. And so Abraham is called out, and he's told, go to the land of Canaan. You're going to be a sojourner. You're going to live there, but it's not yours. But eventually, I will give it to you and your descendants. And God speaks to Abraham, and he sends him here and there. Then he speaks to Isaac and Jacob. And we get to that beautiful story of Joseph. And Joseph is a young man. He's the apple of Jacob's eye. And he does something that his brothers don't like. He has dreams. And these dreams, probably even now, when you hear them, you go, why would you share those things? But these dreams are from God, and they say, you're going to rule over your family. You're going to rule over these people, my people. And if you follow the story, through slavery, through miracle, through interpretation of dreams, Joseph becomes the number two guy in all of Egypt. And he saves the Egyptian people, but also saves God's chosen people the promised ones. And they find favor in Egypt. And they grow and they grow until a Pharaoh that doesn't remember Joseph comes into power. And as humans do, they get scared and so they react. And Pharaoh says, no more. These Israelites, the sons of Jacob, of Isaac and Abraham, you will now be slaves. God's chosen people, the people of promise, go from rulers to slaves. And they cry out, And God says, I will answer your call. And we get to Moses. And Moses is the guy we'll talk about more in depth today. He's the guy that his parents put him in a basket because all the babies are being killed. They send him off down the Nile River. And he's raised in the house of Pharaoh. He's raised as Pharaoh's own child. But he can't stand what's going on to his people. He can't stand for the abuse that his people are taking. And so he lashes out and kills an Egyptian. And there Moses runs. He's failed already. But God doesn't leave him there. We get to the burning bush, and Moses experiences God in a way he's never seen before. God speaks to him in this burning bush. Says, Moses, bring my people out of Egypt. You will lead. And we see through miracle after miracle, through ten plagues, finally Pharaoh relents, and he goes, I can't handle it anymore, get out. Take your people, take your moms, dads, children, livestock, everything. Go worship your God. And we see through more miracles, they get to Mount Sinai, the holy mountain. And at Mount Sinai, not only Moses experiences God, but all of the people. You see, God speaks from the mountain. 
He gives them boundaries, but he speaks to the people. He speaks. And then he gives them the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, which are to dictate how you live your life, how you honor God and honor each other. How you worship God and show him love and how you love the people around you. And then Moses goes to speak to God in his presence and they screw up again. They've just experienced God Almighty speaking directly to them and they go, we're going to build a fake God because Moses may not come back. Let's build a God like the Egyptians who enslaved us. And they build this God and Moses steps in and he takes that calf and he crushes it down and he makes them drink their sin. And then he goes to God and he says, I will make atonement for the people. And when he gets up to God, he says, God, if you will not forgive them, take me instead. If you can't forgive them, take me and punish me and blot me out so that your people will be saved. God says no. God says, I will punish the people who sinned. And we see through this time, Moses constantly going to God. Constantly in God's very presence, hearing from God. Now, if you read Exodus 33, just beyond what Shannon read for us this morning, that's our passage, verse 12, is where we're going to start in a moment. But if you read this, you might not think of it as a prayer. You read this, and as I read it, I went, okay, normal dialogue. I see it in every book. Moses says, God says. Moses says, God says. It's an interchange, a conversation. And it doesn't seem like prayer because many of us have this concept of prayer that says, I go to God, I pray, I say amen, and I walk. Good enough. But Moses says, no, I go to God, and he responds. I go to God, and God Almighty, creator of heaven, earth, heaven and earth, speaks to me, and I hear him. Prayer is a beautiful thing because it's not a monologue. It's not someone standing there, talking to the sky, hoping there's a higher power to hear. But the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, hears Moses. Now, maybe if you have this concept of prayer that says, I talk, God listens, we move on, we need to reframe it a little bit. So there's a couple of different ways we may hear from God. They're up on the screen for you. The number one way we hear about who God is and how to live is through Scripture. We're given the Word of God, the Word of God that is living and active. And we can read this Word and know God. We can know about Him. We can see who He is, how He reacts. And we can see how we, if we're followers of Jesus, should be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. From there, the second thing is hearing God's voice. And Moses does this. We have scriptural proof that it happens right in this dialogue. And Moses hears seemingly with his physical ears. Maybe some of you have experienced God in this way, or maybe it's an inner voice that God's used to talk to you, and you just know it's God. Another way is through dreams and visions. I mentioned Joseph. He's a dreamer. Gets him into trouble, but also saves all of God's people and all of Egypt along with them. And then we have Peter in the New Testament. And there's this picture of Peter up on a rooftop in Joppa. And he's praying. He's hungry. It's around lunchtime. And he's praying and God brings a vision to his eyes and he lets down this blanket full of food. And it's clean animals according to the Jews, but also unclean. Those animals the Jews were not supposed to eat. And God says, take and eat. 
And Peter objects. He says, God, I've never put unclean animals in my mouth. But God repeats the vision three times. And at the end of this vision, a knock happens on the door. And these Gentiles, these non-Jews, who the Jews weren't supposed to talk to, eat with nothing. They say, God told our master to send us to you to hear what you have to say. And that's when Peter registers. This vision wasn't about food necessarily. It was about calling humans made in the image of God valuable. That it doesn't matter who you are, where you were born, who you were born to. That God has a message of hope for you. And we can have visions and dreams too. It's promised throughout the Bible. And finally, we run into senses. Now, this one might seem really uncomfortable for some of us. Does God really speak through my feelings or my gut reactions? But think about this. You're walking down the street and you see a child. Their stomach's descended. They haven't eaten. And your heart breaks. And you bring to them food. Jesus says, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. Or you see on the side of a street someone yelling at someone else and you want to step in and you want to protect and you want to care for. Where does this come from? Or maybe you hear about the injustices around the world of racism or current slavery and you want justice and you get righteously angry and say, this must stop. The world calls it a conscience. It's just me. But if you are a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you, and God does not stand for these things. God is a God of justice and love and goodness. And he can lay these things on our heart, and that can direct our paths. Now, we are going to do more on prayer and a prayer course in the fall, so I'm not going to get further into what prayer is or what it may look like. But I want to take these things and wrap it all back into the Bible. When we are hearing from God, when we are seeing visions, when we are sensing God, all of these things must line up with Scripture. Because our God isn't a God of confusion or contradiction. He is a God that has given His Word, and if it doesn't line up with His Word, it is not from Him. In fact, His Word tells us to test the spirits, to make sure that what we are seeing, feeling, and hearing is God, not the enemy, not the world. Okay, now we're going to read the prayer. We're going to go to Exodus 33, verse 12 to 23. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he, that is God, says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Remember, just a few verses before, God said, no, I'm not going with this stiff-necked people. But Moses prays, and God says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses says to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses says, please, 
Show me your glory. So, this is what God responds. The Lord said, behold, oh, sorry. He said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by you, I will put you in the cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Wow. A God that created the universe says, yes, I will hear you. Yes, I will go with you. Yes, I will show you my glory, who I am. So we're gonna break this down a little bit. God speaks. If you didn't get that, God spoke right there. He spoke and Moses heard and they had a dialogue like he was standing right there. And as I mentioned before, lots of ways God can speak that we can find in scripture. But Moses, when he's talking to God, it's not this humble God, if you will, I'm sorry, please. It's God we will not move without you. He challenges God. He says, I don't like the deal you've given me. We need you with us. We need you or we are not your people and there's no point. And God answers. Now remember, this is the same Moses who at the burning bush, when God called him, he goes, my tongue doesn't work right. I'm not doing it. He says, send someone else to your people. I can't do it. Moses, the only guy who could probably get audience with Pharaoh because he grew up in Pharaoh's household, says, sorry, God, not good enough. But as time progresses and God does miracle after miracle, speaks through and in Moses over and over again, this is the Moses we see standing up into his role as representative of the people of, Christ, of God, as intercessor who goes to God on the people's behalf. He's bold. In Exodus 32, as I said, with the golden calf, he does a similar thing. The people deserve punishment, they've sinned. He says, I will make atonement and I will go to God. And he goes to God, and as I said, he says, God, if you're gonna wipe them out, don't do it. Forgive them and take me instead. That's who he has become, a representative and someone willing to sacrifice themselves. And God answers. He relents. He's a God of compassion and love as well as justice. And this should be an ex uh, uh, encouragement for us. We should come expectant to God because we see in Scripture that God answers. That God is a God that knows you, that hears you, that sees you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, says, my child, my friend. And Moses has these human-like conversations. He doesn't become angry with Moses when Moses challenges him and disagrees. We see Moses constantly going to God. At times, he's even asking God to wipe the people out. And God's compassion and grace hears his heart and hears his desire for people to honor God and answers. But not just in Moses. God's presence is with individuals throughout Scripture. We see Elijah. And Elijah is challenging the prophets of Baal. And he says to these false prophets, he says, whoever's God reigns fire, that is the one true God. 
and the prophets of Baal go on and on, and they're calling out, and he taunts them. Elijah laughs in their face because he knows the one true God answers. And when they're finally done all their craziness, Elijah sits there and he gets water. And he pours water on the altar, so much that a trench fills around it, and he prays to God, and God shows up. God rains down fire and consumes the entire altar, all the water, everything, to show he is the one true God. And then Elijah's uh, follower, Elisha, who is trained under him, says, I want a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And God answers in this way. He's told, if you see Elijah go up into the heavens, you will have Elijah's spirit. But if you don't, you won't. And Elisha goes with Elijah, and he sees him go up on the chariot of fire. And from that point on, he takes on his cloak and his mantle, and he follows God, and God speaks to him and through him. And we see Jesus. Jesus, God himself, in the garden before his death. And Jesus is sitting there weeping, and he's praying to God. He says, Father, if there's any way to save these people without me dying, do it. I don't want to. His heart is breaking because he knows what needs to be done, but he says, God, if there's any way, if there's any way, make it so, so I don't have to suffer. Then he says, your will, not mine. And God proves his will by carrying out the punishment we deserve on the back of Jesus. He is beaten. He is whipped. He is murdered for our sake And that might not sound like a fun thing, but God has confirmed his will in that situation. And then Paul. Paul, the guy who brings to the known world the gospel. God says, you're going to suffer. And Paul describes this thorn in his side, this thing that keeps him and makes him suffer. And he prays repeatedly and says, God, take this away. But God says no. God answers with a no. Paul says, in my weakness, he is strong. Even when he doesn't answer the way I want, God is still good. And God hears me when I call and he answers. Now, he can answer in various ways. Sometimes it might seem small, medium, large. Maybe it's simply when you pray, you get a sense of peace. That even in suffering, you are following God. Or maybe it's extravagant. Maybe the king of kings reaches down and heals somebody or speaks to you. Our God is a personal God who loves us and cares for us and comes and hears us and responds. And that's why Moses, as the intercessor for the people of Israel, is so, so important. You see, he goes to God on behalf of the people. He goes to God and speaks to God when Israel needs God. He pleads with God to be present with them. He pleads for God to lead them. And he does this all the time. He regularly goes either to the tent of meeting or to Mount Sinai. And he experiences God's presence and comes and speaks to the people. We can be like Moses. Each one of us, if we are a follower of Christ, is called to intercede on others' behalf. To pray for ourselves, yes, but to pray for the sick and the hurting, to pray that God's word would come to those who have not heard, to pray that he would bind the brokenhearted, that he would bring sight to the blind, that he would bring freedom to the captive, that he would comfort those who mourn, and to be used by him to do these things. 
and God hears and answers. But who goes on our behalf? Each other, for sure. The family of God is key to following God well. But we also have two that intercede on our behalf. First is Jesus. Jesus intercedes on our behalf when he fixes the relationship with God. That separation that sin causes that we can't bridge, that Moses wasn't good enough to fix on behalf of Israel, Jesus comes to earth and he pays the price so that we can be reconciled, so the relationship can be repaired. He intercedes on our behalf and takes the wrath that we deserve. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Moses approaches God with confidence. He goes right up to God and he challenges him and says, you are our God, we are your people, be with us. How much more can we approach God? When Jesus himself has bridged the gap, when Jesus himself has repaired the relationship, how much more can we with boldness and confidence approach God's throne? And because of Jesus, we find mercy and grace in our time of need. Secondly, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given many names throughout Scripture. We'll hear a couple of them this morning. But Him being our intercessor is important. It's a key to how we approach God. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We have the entire Trinity working together, listening to our hearts, hearing our cries, interceding on our behalf. The Father, God Almighty, sits on the throne and he hears our hearts, and he searches our hearts. And because Jesus has repaired that relationship, Jesus has reconciled us, we can approach that throne, and with the Spirit's help, the Spirit interceding on our behalf, we speak to the Father, and we are heard. And the Spirit speaks on our behalf according to God's will. That brings us to the presence of God. You see, in Scripture, in the Old Testament especially, we see individuals. We see David and Saul, when they are anointed king, receive God's presence and power. We see Moses already, as we've talked about. We see Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi, whom God speaks to and through to his people. He gives messages, and through their lips, people hear the word of God. We hear of God's presence in the wilderness. We see the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire leading the Israelites. We see God descend on the mountain and then speak to and through Moses as well. And we see the tabernacle, the house of God's presence put in the center of the camp in the wilderness. And we see God come and dwell amongst his people. And then when they're in the promised land, 
he gets Solomon to build a temple and his presence fills it. We see Solomon praying for God's presence upon completion and God fills the temple and he dwells amongst his people. And in each instance that God's presence comes, his glory comes also. And this is Moses' prayer in verse 18. Please, show me your glory. And God does. Moses says, show me. And God says, although I can't show you my face because you will be overwhelmed with my perfection and glory and die, I will still show you my goodness. I will tell you my name. And God shelters Moses, but then reveals his back, a portion of who he is, his very glory, the radiance of his nature. And he declares his name just like he did at the burning bush. At the burning bush, Moses says, how will they know who sent me? He gives them the name, the name which is above all names, Yahweh. And he repeats it because it seems Moses needs confirmation. And so God says, here's my goodness, here's my name, here's who I am. And it does two things for Moses. Number one, it confirms God's promise. I will go with the people into the promised land. I will be with not only Moses, but with all of Israel. And number two, it confirms the covenant made to Abraham and also the covenant made to Moses as leader of the people. God's presence is with Moses. And as I mentioned, these individuals get God's presence. We see beautiful things with people being filled to be artists and builders and all these things. And then Jesus comes. And God's presence is in the very person of himself, Jesus. And he speaks to the people. And he relates to them and he shares meals with them and he loves them and he heals them and he dies for them. But when he rises again, he spends some time on earth, but he returns to heaven. So what about us? How do we receive God's presence? John 16, 7 to 15 says, Nevertheless, this is Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. His followers must have been confused. They've been with Jesus and suddenly he's leaving. But he says, for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, God himself, to be with us always. We know verses like where two or three are gathered, there he is. But maybe we forget that where a follower of Jesus is, there the Spirit is. He guides us into truth and new life and empowers us to fulfill 
Jesus' final commandment, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey. Acts 1.8 says it a little differently. This is the verse that your youth hear and see because this is what we have to share the good news. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You do not live a life for Christ alone, but in the very presence of the Holy One himself. Moses had to go into God's presence. He goes to the tent of meeting. He goes up to Mount Sinai. He has to ask God to go with them. But if you're a believer, God is always with you. The Holy Spirit is working in you and through you. He guides us, transforms us, and intercedes on our behalf. And he gives God's glory to us. Now Moses is seeing God's glory. That's what he asked for. God says yes. And shortly after this, we see that Moses is so filled with God's glory that his face glows. He has seen God. Yet Israel's reaction instead of rejoicing is fear. Just like when God speaks to them at Sinai, they're scared. And so Moses veils his face. When he leaves the presence of God, he puts a veil over his face because the people are so scared. For some reason, they don't get that this is a blessing. God's glory is shining in their camp. So he hides his face. But this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Now the Lord, sorry, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. If you turn to Jesus, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We are free to see the truth of Christ. We are free to dwell richly with him. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are transformed, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. We have received the glory of God and we do not need to hide. We have received the glory of God through his very spirit with us, dwelling with us. When we behold the glory of God, we are transformed. We are transformed from the inside out because it's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in and through me. God's glory shines in us and through us and he makes us lights to this dark world. That's what Moses was reflecting, that glory, that actual physical glow and radiance people were afraid. But now we should be like cities on a hill, lights to this world, beckoning, saying, come to safety. There's a cure for the evil. There's a safe haven. Come and be saved. Come discover what I have found, the hope in the glory of the almighty God.
Now, as I prepared for this morning, there's so much that we could have talked about Moses. We know there's the whole book of Exodus about his life. But today we focus on one prayer, one prayer that seems to represent a relationship with God that Moses had, that we should crave, that we are offered. You see, God spe- Moses speaks to God as a friend. He doesn't sit there in fear and trembling that God's going to wipe him off the face of the earth for just talking. But he goes to God as a friend. In fact, maybe some of us would say, not really that reverently, because he challenges God. But God accepts that challenge. God is open to that challenge. And when Moses says, send your presence with us or we go nowhere, God agrees. And then God reveals his glory, his very name, his goodness, who he is. We can do this too. We should do this. We must do this. We should be having conversations with God Almighty as a friend and father. With respect, of course. But he says, come to me as you are. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened. And I will give you rest. We go to God knowing that Jesus has already repaired the relationship and that the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. We don't go to God alone, sinful and broken. We go to God sinful and broken with a Savior, with God himself interceding. And we should pray expectantly. We should pray expecting God to answer. If we don't expect God to answer, why are we praying? Why are we talking to him I hope it's not just to hear your own voice, but to call on the name of the Lord and see his power and might reign in your life and in the lives of those around you. And we should say with Moses, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. All too often as humans, we take a step, then go, God, please bless it. But if God is who he says he is, if he has a plan and a purpose and a will, then we need to pray, God, I will go nowhere without your presence. I will not leave my bed. I will not leave my front door. I will not go to work. I will not go to school. I will not do anything without you with me. I will wait on you. We should only move when God's presence is in us. And finally, the glory of God the glory of God, we should reflect God's glory with unveiled faces. We don't need to hide. We don't need to protect others from God's glory. We are lights to this world just as Jesus is the light. We, with unveiled faces, allow God to work in and through us, to shine his glory through us as we allow others to see him transform us, as we recognize that without him we are nothing. And we come to him and we say, transform me. I can do nothing without you. Let's pray as the worship team comes up. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can approach you. That we come into your very throne room as individuals and as your church. We thank you that you hear us. We thank you that you know us. We thank you that your glory shines through us. And as we pray, as we listen to this song and worship you, 
Help us reflect on these things. In Jesus' name, amen.